see you. I'm so glad that you're here, so glad that you decided to be with us this morning, and uh, just thank God for each of your lives, and uh, that you would uh, take time out of your schedule to be with us to worship the Lord together, and uh, just again, thanks for being here. God bless you, and let's get right into this. Let's pray, and uh, we'll ask the Lord what He wants to say to us. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, as that song says, there is no one like you. There's nothing like living for you. There's nothing like living for you. Lord, that you give us love, you give us joy, you give us peace, you give us, Lord, an inner contentment that the world cannot give. Lord, that the things of this world cannot give. And so, Lord, we just look to you this morning. We're asking that you would speak to our hearts once again. Holy Spirit, that you would bring the Word of God to life, that you would minister to our hearts and our spirits today. God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, that we would endure to the end, that we would finish well. So God, come today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we began a series um, that we will be spending quite a bit of time in. Our theme this year is, is transformation becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. The the desire of the Father is that we become more and more like His Son through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, and to to walk as He has called us to walk, and also to become His transformation agents to a world, to a lost and dying world around the world. People need Jesus. People need Jesus. That is the answer for life's issues, for life's problems, Jesus Christ. And throughout this series, we're going to be hanging in Hebrews 12. Um, We're going to venture out in some different directions, but we're going to land back here and uh, kind of start here and end here. Um, As you look at this chapter, and again, I encourage you as we track along, you know, to read this chapter, to study it, to look at it, read it in different translations, and uh, just see what the Lord would speak to you about. It's a pivotal chapter in Scripture that contains some amazing principles, life-changing principles. And uh, again, I encourage you to read it, study, talk about it with other people, and just ask the Lord what He wants to to speak to you. Again, um, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers that had been scattered um, about. They were under great pressure and persecution for their faith. Back in their day, it was, you know, and we see, we see it across other parts of the world, but it was not a popular thing to be a Christian, especially to them as Jewish people, um, and, and they were converting to following Christ as the Messiah, and so they were under intense persecution. And so this letter was an encouragement to them. It was, it was to say that Jesus fulfilled all the things that we have been studying. He, he's the guy. He's the Messiah. And this chapter 12 in Hebrews, it, it, it is the theme of it is finishing well, enduring to the end. Because what they were going through, when you're going through intense persecution, and when the race gets tough, and when you feel like giving up, we have to ha- have this, this word in our heart, and you can see how the tendency for them would be give up, and God is saying, endure, finish well. Last week, I shared a couple of stories, you know, about people that didn't finish well, and it's, and it's so heartbreaking, and we all know those stories. When people, maybe they're walking with the Lord, and they're doing well, and, 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 and then something happens, and Jesus, you know, even talks about in the parable of the sower, he's saying, you know, the cares of this life, and things happen, and they don't finish well, and they don't endure to the end. It's, it's tragic. 
But I love the stories of people that finish well. About a week and a half ago, Athena's grandma um, passed away um, and, and went to be with the Lord. She was 93 and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful woman of God. And she was one of those that finished well. She and uh, her husband, um, uh, Athena's grandpa, they planted many churches, pastored, and uh, we didn't get to go to the funeral, but a few stories that came out of that funeral that I just love is, is about how she finished well and the impact that she made on lives. And there was a couple of people that shared at the funeral, and they are adults now, but they remember when they were a part of the church that... Uh, I call her Grandma Taylor, so you just have to bear with me. But, but Grandma Grandpa Taylor, that they planted, and she would mentor young people. She was known to load them up in a car, and one somebody had a funny story that she didn't drive real well, very fast, and very uh, you know, if she took the wrong like the wrong exit ramp instead of just going around, she would just back up, back up on the interstate, and <laughs> so she created a lot of intercessory prayer when she was uh, ministering, but. And a couple of the stories were that, you know, young people were very impacted by her life because she would take them and, and, and mentor them and pray for them and, and take them out to places to minister. And she just poured her life into young people in the next generation. And so a couple of those stories came out. And, and it's just, it, those are wonderful stories that we hear that people finish well. She was ready to be with the Lord. And now she's reunited with Grandpa Taylor. And I can imagine that that was a beautiful reunion. I love those stories of finishing well. God wants us to finish well. God wants us to make an impact. He created us for a plan and a purpose. But this theme, the theme of this chapter that we look at is, is it's about living the transformed life and enduring to the end. Jesus said this, and I mentioned this last week in Matthew 24, 13. He's talking about the end of days, and he says, he said that the day of the Lord will come, but he, and as it approaches, he said the love of many will grow cold. I mean, he just makes a definitive statement, and we need to have a reverence and a fear of the Lord, but he said, you know what? The love of many, it's going to grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And that's his heart for us. And so what I get from Jesus is to say, guard your heart, guard the love. Make sure you understand that this is a loving relationship between you and Jesus. When we miss out that it's about love, we are on a slippery slope to coldness of heart. God, help our love to stay red hot for you. And so during this series, we're going to be gazing continually at the cross and the gospel of Jesus. I said this last week. You know, Paul, Paul made this declaration. He said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And, and we can kind of embrace that ourselves. Woe to us if we don't preach the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. It's allowing his love to so infect our hearts that it begins to affect others. And we preach it by our words and our actions. And woe to us if we don't preach the gospel and remember why we are the church and we remember why we are saved. Why we have forgiveness. Why we have the promise of eternity is because of the gospel. And throughout this, uh, also this time in, in Romans 11, Paul said, consider or behold the kindness and severity of God. The kindness and the severity of God. It is so good for us to do that. And we do that by looking at the cross because in the cross we see the kindness and severity of God. And I think that we can, get, we can miss the power and look at the cross as simply a symbol and I tell you, it is the event in history that changed everything. 
that the perfect God in the flesh came to the earth and he died for us. And in that, we see intense love, God's intense love for humanity. If you're wondering how much Jesus loves you and you're wondering that and you, and you wrestle with that, look to the cross, that was his demonstration of love. And so it was the kindest, most loving thing that's ever been done. Yet, there was a brutal aspect to the cross. It was awful. It was horrific. Jesus bore our sins upon himself. I mean, outside the physical punishment, the shame, the guilt that all of us would ever feel, that, that, that the depths of darkness in our souls and that dark place and the dark night of our spirits, he embraced all of that for us. And so there was a severe side to it. And that's why Paul says, behold the kindness and severity of God. Look at them both. Look at his love, but look at what it cost him. And you know what we should, that, that should do is to make us love him even more. But God wants us to finish well. He desires that we run the race with him in faithfulness. The key kind of uh, verse and, uh, that, that we'll look at is kind of the summation. It's actually the end of Hebrews 12. It's the end of the chapter. I'm going to read that again. It'll be up here. Um, but Paul says this. Uh, the, if we go to the next, next slide. This is kind of the summation of this chapter. He gets to the end, he says, therefore, and there's that word therefore, he begins the chapter with therefore, and he ends therefore, and he's talking about enduring to the end. He said, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In that passage, we need to get in our spirits, and we are receiving a kingdom. We are living, when we belong to Christ, we are living for a kingdom that will never end. We're living for the king that will rule and reign forever. I want to be on his side at the end of the day, and the end of the age. And so last week, we talked about why some people don't finish well, being that they lose sight of their purpose. We began in, 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 in verse 1 of Hebrews 12, and we're going to go there again. So we'll go to the next slide, and... Uh, and, and so this is where we're going to spend our time as well. Last week, we talked about that word, therefore, because Hebrews 11 is about all of those people in the hall of faith. And we have in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, this person did this. By faith, this person did this. And God is saying, look at these people that finished well. But if you look at them, and, and that's why the encouragement of this, this verse is, therefore, therefore, since they did it, we can do it. Because in the hall of faith, in the word of God, you don't have a bunch of perfect people. You have broken people that needed God, and, and, they, and they got right with God, and they finished well. But you have liars, thieves, prostitutes that God lists in the hall of faith. And if they can do it, we can do it. And the encouragement there is don't be defined by your past or what you did, the shame and condemnation of the past. It's in the past. Move forward with what Jesus has for us. They did it, so can we. Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, and that's those people in Hebrews 11, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So the second reason, the first reason is we lose purpose. The second reason we're going to spend our time here today and actually next week is why, we don't, why people don't endure to the end is we get tangled up in sin. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. 
Let's begin with what sin is not. I mean, obviously, we, we are human beings, we have a sin nature, and sin and temptation are all around us. Can I get a witness there? Amen? We're dealing with it on some level every day. But let me, let me say this, sin is not about don't do this or don't do that. I think that we somehow think that God has the sin behavior book, and he paces heaven almost like a stressed out father waiting for you to come home. And he's got his book and he goes, you know, all right, oh, you did, you did this or you didn't do that, whammo! And, and that's, that's what we, we kind of conjure up in our minds, or I do, of what sin is, is that, that, that God has this behavior book that we're always breaking his rules. It's not about an angry God waiting to strike us with judgment the moment that we blow it. It's not a set of rules that we're trying not to break, and we're trying with all of our might and all of our power not to break these rules. We need to know that Jesus died for those sins. He died, and he took sin upon himself. Sin is that thing or things in our lives that weigh us down and interfere with God's purpose and destiny for our lives. Yes, it is disobedience. Yes, it is things that we, we, we do and we, or we don't do. There's that, 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 that differentiation of, of sins of commission, things that we commit, things that we do that we shouldn't do. And it's also sins of omission, that we know what we're supposed to do, as James says, and we don't do it. And James says that's sin. When you know what you ought to do and not, don't do it, that's a sin. But as God sees it, and you look at this passage of, of of where, where he's saying when you're dealing with the weight, strip off every weight and sin that easily tangles you up and keeps you from the purposes of God. And if we begin to see through the lens of a loving God that says, that is interfering with my purpose for your life, again, we behold the kindness and severity of God and we see it through the lens of love. He loves me so much that he does not want me to walk in disobedience to him because he has a plan for us. You and I were created for a purpose. God created you. He handcrafted you for a purpose. If, if, if he did not have any intention for your life, you wouldn't be here today. He created you for a purpose. And he wants the best for us. And he doesn't want us to be trapped by sin. John 10, 10, we have, you know, Jesus, you know, Jesus talking about the enemy. And he says, you know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Abundant life here, abundant life in heaven. I, I, I have eternity for you. I have a plan for you. And if we saw it through love, then it, would, it helps us obey him more. It's just like in our own families, when you try to make your kid obey without relationship, it's very difficult. But when they understand that you love them, it's easier. I'm not going to say that they don't, they're not still working against you a little bit, but it's easier for them to get it. And sometimes, as a parent, one of the most loving things we can do is to bring correction to a child, especially if they're going toward danger. 
And that's the same thing with us is when we are drifting in danger, we're drifting towards sin. And God's saying, I love you so much that if you go there, it's going to impact my purpose and plan for your life. You're going to get off track. And that's why I lovingly want to bring you back. And when we see it through the lens of love, as opposed to seeing it as he's a killjoy, trying, you know, he's got his rule book and he just doesn't want me to do this. Now he's saying, I, I, don't, I don't want it to knock you off the path that I have for you. I don't, I don't want you to lose your purpose. I don't, want to lose, I don't want you to lose the plan that I have for you. So Jesus tells us about the enemy. One is killing you, stealing from you. Stealing your vision, stealing your joy, stealing your purpose. And I have come that you have life. And a part of the, the enemy's strategy is, is lying to us and, and trying to uh, make, make, make things that, that don't have real life, make those appear that they have life. And Jesus saying, I have real life. I have authentic life for you. Talking to, with Taylor this morning, and you know, we were talking about, it goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's so interesting as we as human beings. God gives Adam and Eve, and he, sa- he gives them this garden. He says, he said, eat of whatever tree you want. They had access. You know, the garden, the garden wasn't like your backyard. This is a huge place. And they had access to all of this wonderful thing. And that's why, you know, and God didn't want to create ro- robots. And that's why that tree was in the, in the middle of the garden there. And, and, and he said, don't touch this. Here's the, here's the only rule. You have access to all of this stuff. Don't touch this one. Where do we find them hanging out? Talking about the tree, you know. You would think from, from just an observational thing of, of like what we would do. Of course, what we would do is the same thing they did. You would think that they would have a discussion and say, let's have a, like a, a one-mile perimeter around that tree that we won't get near it. We won't even talk about it. But they wake up. I wonder why God doesn't want us to touch that tree. And they're you know, maybe going for a walk in and in. Oh, there's that tree again. Did he say not touch it? Or maybe, what happens if I bump into it? And you see this you know, we don't see that in Scripture, but I have an active imagination of they're there and then the enemy just pounces on them because they are setting themselves up. The whole idea, they didn't wake up one day and say, today I'm going to eat the fruit. This has been a thing in their hearts that they're drawn to that. How close can we get to it? Let's talk about the tree. And we have our eyes and that's what the enemy does is here's what you can't have and then we, we, we're so consumed with what we can't do or can't have. And God is saying that brings death. It might appear to bring life. It brings a false sense of life, but I have come to give you life. Look at all that you do have. That's why as Christians, I think that we need to pay more attention to what we do have and what God has done for us instead of what we can't have. And that's what sin does, is we, we, we hang around it, and then guess what? You hang around it enough, and then the enemy comes in with lies, and lies to, you know, lies to them, and did God really say that? And he calls God into question. And that's the, that's the root of all sin, is basically, is we bring God down to our level. That's why you have so much different thought process out there, is we're trying to define God by human reasoning. It'll never work. His ways are higher, higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But we try to conform him to our image, and we try to make him like us. And it never works. We have to be conformed to his image. And but that's what sin does, is we get drawn to it, and I wonder, why, why is this so bad? Why can't I have that? 
with that perspective, you know, that, that it's not about a rule book. We, we, we do, however, need to understand that we should never treat sin as it's no big deal. This is that severity part. Because when you look at the cross and you look at what it did to Jesus and you look at what he bore, sin is a huge deal. And it has huge implications in our lives and the lives of others. Sin is not just our own. It affects our kids. It'll affect our marriage. It'll affect people around us if we don't get free. But the implications of sin are huge. And God is inviting us today. Again, it's that uh, behold the kindness and the severity of God. I'm going to say that a lot because a lot of times we can get kind of trapped under shame and condemnation. No, let God convict you because he loves you and let it set you free. But we should not look at sin as no big deal. It's a huge deal. And we also must not make excuses for our sin. And as human beings, we do that. We, we try to justify it. And I, I've shared before, you know, one of my struggles is self-preservation. You know, preserve myself at all costs. And so you divert, deflect. You know, you're, you're doing the, 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 the dodge and, and instead of just hitting your knees and saying, God, have mercy on me. But, you know, we're, we're, the excuses that we can make sometimes is, well, at least I'm not like that person. At least I didn't do this or that. You know, my, my sin's maybe little and their sin is big. Or I have a weakness. It's a struggle. You notice sometimes that what we define as sin is the thing that I'm not dealing with. <laughs> Isn't that true? Or it's the big, the big deals. You know, well, I'm not dealing with that. That's really bad. The writer of Hebrews, he said, let us strip off every weight that slows us down from our race. Notice the wording there, let us strip off every weight. There's, there's a responsibility that we have in walking with the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that he makes you do it on your own. He wants to walk with you through it. But there's an element of our will that has to be involved in. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. And even some translations, he says this, and we want to kind of take a look at this. He says, let us strip, strip off every sin and weight, or, or weight and the sin that so easily trips us up. Because some things in our lives are not sinful, they just distract us from God's purposes. Sometimes it's just a weight that, you know, we, we, it's busyness, it's things that we do that not, are not necessarily these overt sins, they just distract us. Give us an, a reason not to, to pray or read the Bible or spend time with God, those weights. And the writer is saying, strip those off so you can run with endurance. He said, that, let us strip off those, the, 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 every weight that slows us down from our race, especially the sin that trips us up. Notice he doesn't say what is tripping someone else up. And again, our human condition is that we like to categorize sin. We look at some more the overt or obvious sins that interfere with our walk with Christ, and we, we classify them, whether we say it out loud or not, we classify them in our heart. Those are the biggies, the big sins, lust, murder, sexual sins, stealing, the things that maybe we don't deal with, that we, that those are the biggies. Or we look at the world 
and we say that's what it means to walk in sin, is what those worldly people do. And we gotta, we've, got to, we've got to get right with God because, I mean, Hebrews 9 talks about judgment begins in the house of God. It begins with us. What, sins are God, what sin is God dealing with, with in me? What about those sins that are not so overt? Anxiety. We're told to be anxious for nothing. You deal with anxiety? And some of these, I'm going I'm I'm to bring my own self into this. But a lot of times we can just look at that and not allow God to do his work in us. And again, when we deflect and we push it out, we, we, we prohibit God from doing his work in us. And he wants us to run with purpose. Anxiety. What about worry? Fear? What about what Jesus says when you hate someone and it's a murder of the heart? Unforgiveness. Jesus is strong about unforgiveness. He says this, if you refuse to forgive someone, my Father in heaven cannot forgive you. You see, the implications of the sin of unforgiveness are huge. That if we refuse, what about grumbling? James says, do not grumble against each other. Don't complain against each other. What about gossip, backbiting, suspicion, disunity? The book of Proverbs says that's one of the sins that God hates. Not that he, you know, it's a weakness. No, he hates it, is sowing discord among brethren. Where you're sowing division and disunity, he hates it. What about apathy? You're just, you're just living kind of apathetically before the Lord. Anybody convicted yet? <clears throat> I know I am. When I was writing this list, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, yes, yes. Usually when I'm doing sermons, I have to come in here and pray for a while because i got to get right with God. But again, as we behold his kindness and his severity, see, through, see this through love because every sin can be detrimental to our walk with Jesus. And he wants the best for us. He wants the best for us. And as we behold the kindness and severity, then it leads us to repentance because it says the kindness of God leads us to repentance and saying, God, I don't want to deal with this. Lord, I bring it to you every day. And some of these sins that we, we have to fight it every day. We're in a battle. We are in a battle. Paul said it. Don't be shocked if you're feeling like you're, you know, you're, you're, you're having this war within you. Welcome to the fray. Welcome to the game. We're going to have to fight it every day, and we're going to have to get right with, with God every day. And that's the loving part of God is that now you get it. Now you need me in relationship. You see how God does that is I don't want you to get free and then live your life for a while on your own, and then we have to go through that again and get free. He said, no, walk with me every single day. Then you get it because he said my original intention for all of you was to have a personal relationship intimate with you i want to know you i want to know your struggles i want you to cry out to me every day i want you to bring that sin to me every day because i want to give you freedom but we must allow god to confront our sins and to not make excuses for them allow him to do it he'll lovingly confront you walking in relationship allowing the holy spirit and having that relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he comes to convict us of sin. 
Every day, Holy Spirit, come, convict me, show me what I need to get right. But his confrontation is his love for us. You know, Jesus wants you to be free more than you probably want to be free. Think about that for a moment. Think about how free you want to be. Jesus wants you to be free. He wants you to walk in your destiny and your purpose. And that's why he's saying is, is strip, aside, strip away those, those weights and those sin that, that, that impact your run and, and, and they impact your race because they divert you off the path. He wants us to run well. He wants us to finish well. I'm going to close with this story from Genesis 4 as we look at the effects of sin. Next week is what do we do with sin? How do we strip aside? So a little part two of this. So hopefully it'll keep you coming. It's like a do, to be continued. Remember those shows that you'd watch and, be, and you're like, oh man, they're leaving us hanging. Hopefully this is a cliffhanger for you. You'll be back next week. But I want you to turn to Genesis 4 if you'd like. If not, I'll just read along. You can listen to me. But the effects of sin. And we'll conclude with this. I'm going to just spend a few minutes here. A story that most people are familiar with, and back towards the very beginning of things, it's Cain and Abel. But in this thing, as we talk about what do we do with sin, the effects of sin, I want you to hear the heartbeat of God and what God says to Cain. I'm going to read... Uh, Verses 1 through 11 of, of Genesis chapter 4. It says this, Now Adam knew Eve, um, sexual relationship with Eve, his wife, and, they, and she became pregnant when she gave, when she gave birth. To, then she gave birth to Cain, and she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gifts, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. A lot of people go, well, you know, what's the distinction? That's a, probably a whole other sermon for another day. Notice that, Cain, that Abel brought his first fruits, his best. Cain brought just some of his grain. It wasn't like his first or the best. He just brought some, and that's why God rejected the, the offering of, of Cain and accepted Abel's. And, and so Cain is angry, and he's dejected. This is the key verse. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? Listen to what he says. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. One translation says sin is at the door and it desires you. And listen to what God says. You must subdue it and be its master. God has this encounter with Cain, then we move on from there. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's keeper or my, brother, my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what you have done, listen, your brother 
Brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. This is a very serious passage as we talk about sin. Now I want you to gather the, the, the context in which we see this story unfold. God himself is there with Cain, speaking audibly to him. God did not send a pastor or a prophet. or in, God is speaking to Cain audibly. He is having an encounter with God. You would think that Cain would be on his knees and saying, God, whatever you say, I will do. You are God and I am not. That is why, folks, that we have to understand that God desires a day-to-day-to-day relationship with us. A moment, an event, a service, a touch from God, those are all great, but those do not help you walk day-to-day. you got to get up the next day after you've had a moment. You would think God speaking audibly to Cain would have done something to the guy's heart. But he goes from the presence of God, God speaking audibly to him, and he kills his brother. It's just something that we just need to, we need to grab hold of the, the, how sober that is. And so God has this conversation with him, and he says this, and I want you to grab hold of this as we talk about sin. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? How do we do what is right? We walk with Jesus day day by day, by day. But he says this, but if you do not do what is right, watch out, sin is right at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it and subdue it. In other words, sin is lurking. The enemy is lurking. He is there, and I don't want to bring a lot of attention and glory to the enemy. It's not, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, but it is there. And he will give you every lie, every excuse, just like he did with Adam and Eve. He will give you everything that that, that he can possibly give you for you to walk in sin. And that's why God told Cain, he said, you have to subdue it and master it. So my question today is this, has sin mastered you or are you mastering and subduing the sin? This was a saying a long time ago that I heard, I think as a teenager, but it says this is very true. Sin wants to take you farther than you ever wanted to go, do what you thought you would never do, and keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. That's very true. Because that is the enemy's desire, is to kill, steal, and destroy, steal your purposes. If he, can just, if he can't just outright just destroy you, at least he keeps you from your purpose in God. And he just keeps you out there wandering around out, you know, away from God's purpose and just keep you kind of in a sinful habit and kind of in that trend and kind of in that cycle where it seems like you can never break. And he said, that, that's good. All right, that, that person's taken care of. But when we come back to God, it makes the enemy very nervous because he does not want us to walk in our purposes. And he wants to keep us out there, make us do things we thought we'd never do, make us go where we thought we'd never go and make us stay way longer than we wanted to stay. James says this when he's talking about sin. He said, sin, when it's fully mature, brings death. Because there's the end when we walk in sin. Sin 
when it's immaturity leads to death. We must master it and subdue it because it is there. Temptation's there. Sin is there. And God is saying to us today, you have to master it. You have to subdue it. Because if you're not doing what is right, watch out. It's crouching right at the door to grab hold of you and to master you and to subdue you. And let me say this, as, as with Adam and Eve, it usually begins with little compromises. You know, usually the enemy won't come at us with this gigantic overt sin. I mean, it, usually it begins with a little compromise, and it's a path of compromise that leads us away. And before we know it, we're way off the path. Watch out for the little compromises. And the writer's saying in Hebrews 12, let us strip off these sins, let us master, let us subdue it. Are we mastering the sin or is it mastering us? Are we a slave to it? If you do what is right, you will be accepted. When God says that, when you do what is right, you will be accepted. What's God saying? Is he saying, just have enough willpower. Just hope that your good outweighs your bad. Well, if that's what he was saying, we're, we're, we're unlike any other religion in the world. Just let the, let the balance, you know, good, good works outweigh your bad works. Absolutely not. He's not saying that. Basically, it boils down to this. Sin is an issue of control. We get into sin is when we're in control. Who's in control of your life? Who's on the throne of your life? Because that's where the enemy, if he can get you to take control, that's where sin is crouching at the door. Because I've seen what I can do when I'm in control. It's not, not pretty. And doing what is right is about unconditional surrender to Jesus every day, living a life with him, walking with him, receiving his freedom and his abundant life for me. He is the one that we need to finish well. Again, it's about coming again and again to the cross of Christ every day. Come to the cross. Humble yourself before the cross every day. I encourage you to do that. The last few months, I've been, in my daily prayer time, I've been trying to just purposely just, just come to the cross and say, Jesus, it costs you everything. And I bring my sin before the cross of Christ because there you, you were nailed upon that gross tree and you took my sins upon yourself. It's coming again and again to the cross to see his intense love for me, but to see his, the intense severity towards sin. And it's about giving him control every day. Jesus, I give you control. I surrender my life every day. I'm going to end with 2 Corinthians 5.21. And this is just an awesome passage of Scripture for us to gaze upon the, the cross. God made him, or Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin. He did more than just take sin upon it. He became sin itself. And that is such a, an overwhelming thought that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here was the trade-out. Jesus became your sin so that he could hand over the righteousness of God to you and me. And he did it out of intense love. He embodied our sin. He bore it. 
That's the gospel. Again, the cross should bring us to humble adoration and complete surrender as we gaze. Don't allow it to be just an idea of, of just, this is a symbol. I've seen it 100,000 times. When you Be reminded of what it costs Jesus and see his love and humble yourself before him every day. So my heart for us today is let's begin to subdue and master this. Let's surrender our hearts today. Let's come to the cross in a fresh and new way. I want to pray and, and I want to invite you. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to officially kind of formally dismiss you, but I want to pray. And uh, I encourage you to just hang out. If you want to come down here, sit in the pews, have, you know, whatever leadership, you and your wives, if you guys want to help us pray with people, we'd love to pray with you. Um, but just spend some time alone with God. We're going to dim the lights, put on some music. And, uh, and, and I just encourage you to get with God today. And, 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 and allow him to come in, humble yourself, surrender, come to the cross again. Run to the cross. And then next week we're going to talk about what do we do with sin and how we can subdue it. And uh, so hopefully we have some keys there. So hopefully you can come back next week. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we are humbled by your great love for us. Lord, I pray today, Lord, more than anything, that, Lord, as we talk about an, the issue of sin and what we do with it, and, Lord, that we, would, again, would not hear with ears of condemnation or, or, or shame, but, Lord, we would hear, Lord, with your loving voice of, I love you, I have a purpose for you, and I don't want you to be trapped in those things. Because I want you to experience all that I have for you. I want you to walk in the abundant life that I've promised for you. And that, Lord, you would give us courage to know how to subdue and master the sin and not let it master us. God, forgive us. And, Lord Jesus, we look to the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the demonstration of your intense love for us. Lord, we can't do it on our own. We can't have enough willpower. We can't have enough good works. It is finished at the cross, and, Lord Jesus, you did it all. So we humble ourselves today. Lord, I thank you for your people. Thank you, God. I pray a blessing over them, a blessing over this week that, God, you would meet with us personally and that we would walk it out day by day in a loving relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.